Okay, so today we're going to focus on words. And the initial opening statement I've got to talk about is a poor lost soul, a poor child named Ricky Tiki Tembo, No Sorembo, Cherry Berry Ruchi, Pip Berry Pembo. He came to an unfortunate end because Ricky Tiki Tembo, No Sorembo, Cherry Berry Ruchi, Pip Berry Pembo, and baby Jessica fell into the well and when his brother ran to try to save his life he ran and ran as fast as his little legs would carry him but it took him so long to rattle off his name to his old mother his old deaf mother has fallen into the well into the well along with uh, baby Jessica and she sent him off to the old man. Old man, old man, come quickly, come quickly. I was having the nicest dream. The opium had kicked in, and it was the nicest dream you can imagine. And you wake me up to tell me what exactly? Can you repeat yourself? fallen into the well. Is that a helicopter? It looks like a news van. Who, who are these? Oh, get these people off my lawn. What, what is this? Oh, and the old man ran as fast as his old, decrepit, degenerate, somewhat cushioned by opium-fueled legs, would carry him to try to get them out of the well. But a news van had beat him to it, and they already had their cameras down the well. And they were already taking a good look at the small girl who was wedged partway into the shaft of the well. She was unhurt in the fall. And I believe it was after about a 36-hour ordeal. Or is it 17 or 18? They managed to rescue baby Jessica from the well. But not Ricky Dicky Tembo, no Sorembo, Cherry Berry, Ruchi, Pip Berry, Pembo, who drowned... Under the ground, he was sucked deep into the underground reservoir. He fought to stay afloat for as long as he could. Might have been saved if his name had been shorter. But all of that adds up to following supposition. They weren't able to listen to the Rogue Philosopher podcast. After all, they were down a well. The news media weren't interested at the time because they were looking down the well. Uh, The old man wasn't because he was in his dream. And if he had, probably the satellite dishes of the news vans would have disrupted the signal. Who knows, with 5G coming along, God help us. You know, electromagnetic waves are extremely unhealthy for the human brain. Um, there's ample evidence of, of vast damage that they do at the wrong frequency. In fact, they're weapons. They're energy weapons. They have undoubtedly used them against our diplomats in Cuba, but that's also neither here nor there. But if you had been on the scene and were so inclined, one of the nice newsmen might have queued up the Rogue Philosopher podcast for you to listen to as they 
rescued the little girl from the well. As they sent divers down into the well to try to find Ricky Tikka Tembo and Osarembo, Cherry Berry Ruchi, Pip Berry Pembo in the midst of the well. Yes, this, uh, this, whoops, here we go, everything is collapsing. This is the Rogue Philosopher Podcast, and I'm the Rogue Philosopher, coming to you today. We're having probably one of the rainiest springs I can ever remember in this English-speaking country, somewhere in the English-speaking world. And at the moment, it's very, very miserable and cold and wet outside. But, you know, in the Rogue Philosopher Studio, I think my brain is functional, I think. But because, you see, words, words, words matter. People die because of the wrong words. That's no joke. You know, as flippant as I'm being about poor Ricky Tiki Tembo, which I, I bet parents don't read that to their children anymore. It's probably politically incorrect. Uh, but in any case, words matter. You build, you build your life out of words. And, and, and you buy and you sell on the strength of your honesty and, and on the words that you do. It's contract. You have verbal contracts. You have written contracts. Contracts of law, contracts of marriage, property exchange... Contracts of ownership, contracts of indebtedness, contracts of indemnity, you know, marriage, prenup, verbal contracts. You have any number of, of times when the words you speak are the reality. I mean, the postmodernists were right in a number of their observations, just not their conclusions. And in fact, their conclusions were so erroneous that I've been reading a book of military history that is talking about the, uh, and I'm going way outside my comfort zone for a reason, for, for the moment. During the Second Lebanon War, the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, used postmodernist doctrine to guide their strategy and their tactics both on the battlefield. And it caused horrendous amounts of damage. I mean, this it was one of many factors. Another factor was the Hezbollah was well prepared. They fought very well. They were very determined. They had determined a, their own tactics and battlefield strategies to defeat the IDF, which they did. And the IDF had no clear objective. Among other things, they were poorly trained, poorly organized. They didn't combine arms. They didn't have proper air support. They didn't have proper infantry support for the tanks. It was, it was all, it was all a, a fiasco. But one of the primary reasons for this was a breakdown of communications between the commanders and their troops and the orders they were supposed to carry out. And the reason this breakdown occurred <clears throat> is because they had allowed postmodernist terminology to, in effect, inf infect one uh, IAF airman, I, I don't think there was a name listed in the citation, said it was as though a virus had infected our strategy or something to that effect. And their objectives were, were not only unachievable, but vague. Like the, the, the uh, destruction of, of Hezbollah or something. The, uh, 
the, the part of it was the idea of the consciousness. They were going to adopt a, a victorious consciousness while depriving the enemy of, of their morale and forcing them to be in a defeatist consciousness, you know, by bombing them to smithereens, which the bombing raids failed because they had, they had hidden their rockets under tunnels under the ground, which they constructed over the long term. And the, the Israelis had no intelligence in southern Lebanon at the time. But what I'm saying is that there are now, there were wars lost and people dead because of, of postmodern doctrine. It's not, it's not just an abstract discussion in a classroom. These are people's lives. And there's a kind of charlatanry about postmodernism. And I... Gosh, this isn't working too well, is it? I, I feel like I have a duty. Uh, I have to warn people about what they're being taught in their universities. Because I went and I got a PhD. I worked very, very, very hard for it. And I feel like I've been defrauded. And a lot of what I've learned about philosophy, it's true, I had some good teachers there. I learned a great deal from them in certain instances. But I think most PhD candidates will have some horror stories to tell you about this aspect of their attempt or that aspect of it. But for most of the years I was studying at my PhD, and I won't go into it because I don't want to, I don't want to come across as angry or embittered, even though I kind of am, because it costs a, a gargantuan amount of debt. And I went into debt to get a degree, a valid degree. It's not, this isn't, as Ben Shapiro put it once, I do not have a degree in uh, lesbian dance, Okay. I have a degree in theology and philosophy and religious studies. That is, the academic study and classification of religions and the scientific, they'll call it that. I think it's ridiculous. They'll call it scientific, where they break down the taxonomy of the various religions, and social behaviors of people, etc., blah, blah, blah. It's a valid degree. It's a degree that should have, in the least, given me the uh, validity and the, the, um, the leeway, the options to sell, my, to sell myself in such a manner is that I could get a teaching job. But now there are two factors. One of them is point blank. I think there's almost nothing to teach. And I don't want to contribute to a system that is deliberately defrauding parents and young people of their future. It is, it is, it is, it is not, it's not some accident. And the reason I can say that is because the postmodern philosophy does have an objective, a Marxist objective. I, I want to engage the work of Jordan Peterson over the next oh, I don't know how many, uh, podcasts. And there is sort of an unholy alliance between 
the grand narrative of Marxism and class consciousness and class change, which became identity politics, and postmodernist fragmentary distrust of any grand narrative. Theirs is truly a meta narrative. And even then, you know, you just you can keep breaking it down and breaking it down and breaking it down. And no matter what you study in the academy, I studied philosophy and religion. I also studied literature and film theory. And when I was younger, I studied English, English lit, lots of it. Some political science, a lot of psychology and a lot of religion. Everything that you take on in your studies, and it doesn't matter if you're going to a school to study Charles Dickens or if you're going to school, you know, to study the Hebrew Bible or if you're going to school to study uh, some thinker, you know, like let's say um, I doubt they read his book, he's too smart. Um, but Karl Popper, what is it, the... the uh, the, 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 I don't know, something about the things that threaten a free society or something like that. It doesn't matter what you study. If you study 1940s film noir, okay? If you study, uh, you know, historiography is what you're going to get if you become a historian, not actual history. And you get all these ludicrous ideas in the historiography. Uh, where you try to construct narratives that may be implied by the history that you're studying. It may not be implied. It doesn't matter if you're studying international relations. Heck, it doesn't even matter if you're studying military doctrine. I mean, I, I hope at West Point they're not infested by postmodernist thought, but they were in, in, uh, they were in Israel. Now, they, they got a lot of, rid of a lot of that. They rewrote their whole strategic battle strategy and two years later they conducted a far better campaign I'm not a military historian so I don't want to say more without running the risk you know of really blundering but but I have to go outside my comfort zone just to, to, to demonstrate this stuff is real okay if you send people out into the world and it doesn't even matter anymore how advanced their degree is there's an element of charlatanry there's an element of fraud. I certainly feel like I purchased a degree that is largely fraudulent. And I won't say more about that, except that I, I feel compelled to try to convince people not to attend American universities, point blank. Do not come to this country if you're from a foreign country. If you are graduating from a high school, go to a trade school, study programming language. Do not attend. First of all, there's no such thing as a, as a non-profit university. You cannot tell me there aren't people making huge, massive profits off of endless government funding being spewed into these colleges to pay for these administrators and to pay these monstrously high salaries for tenured professors who aren't teaching anything because no matter what you study, everything you study, okay, as I've, I'm, ta I'm taking great pains to point this out, uh, you're studying 
you know, early film. You're studying um, 17th century, you know, 17th century epistolary content. You know, the history of letter writing, perhaps. Correspondence. You're studying Queen Elizabeth. You're studying, you know, the, the Muslim jurisprudence. It doesn't matter what you're studying, okay? You're going to interpret all of it through the lens of identity politics. That's not to say that there aren't cases in history or in literature where there hasn't been some example of an oppressive narrative. I think literature is what helped free people from their oppression, but let's drop that for now, and I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll, um, I'll allow for the possibility. You're doing yourself an injustice by agreeing to this, because you have to interpret what you're studying in its proper context. But postmodernity doesn't want to do that. It wants to break down for many different reasons and for many different interpretations of various ideologies. But its purpose is to deconstruct. As, as Foucault would put it, you are you're deconstructing the master's manner with the master's tools. And so what people are being taught isn't to think for themselves. They're being taught how to actively deconstruct. And so any sort of narrative where there's a heroic figure, tear them down. Anywhere there's a concept or an idea worth fighting and dying for, such as democracy and the right for free peoples to vote, tear it down such as the nobility of this country, of the United States, tear it down. Uh, if you're a religious person, you're going to be told your, god, your godliness is a sign of stupidity, not intelligence. You're going to be told that, I mean, my personal beliefs notwithstanding, this is what's going to happen to you. You're going to be told that your church is full of unlearned, backward, racist, sexist, patriarchal, brainwashed, stupid yokels. Okay? And it doesn't matter. The fact that they're not is irrelevant. It is irrelevant. You're going to be taught what you're reading in the Gospels, let's say, or even in the Torah, you're going to be taught these things are oppressive, violent, patriarchal, because it's always patriarchy. The, 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 uh, the men, men are the, the sheer practitioners of villainy. Now, men can be redeemed somewhat by being crippled or broken or, or scrambled in their brains or, or God knows what. You know, but that's, that's only... Um, that's only a voucher of redemption. Okay, you, you, if, if you're, you know, there's a hierarchy of victimhood. Now, I've, I've always leaned left, I think, most of my life. 
in my heart, I've always leaned left. I think because the left for many years to me is what represented sticking up for what I could only call the underdog against, against bullies. I think you'll find people on the left and the right who agree with me. They're fair-minded. They don't like bullies. That's why, and, and this can be argued, the minutia of it, but let's say for the moment, that's why Americans fought a war against themselves to end slavery. That's why, in spite of a number of, of errors, and there's, there, were, there were many qualities that were reprehensible in American history, but it doesn't matter because those same people, with their flaws, destroyed Nazi Germany. They, you know, and it, the, you know, the argument about the eugenics and uh, the Americans being the pioneers in eugenics and sterilizing the disabled, which is horrible. Uh, uh, the British perfected, the British Empire perfected building internment camps. Even still, it was they who stopped. They. But what you're going to get in a postmodern discourse that's radically left, so far to the left, that today, if you're in an in-group, tomorrow you won't be. You know, today you're, you might be favored. Well, yes, you've, you've been oppressed. But then you're going to be like in Maoist China. They went from, many of them, members of the party, loyal party men, went from being upright communist, you know, architects, what have you, to needing to be forced to self-confess their, their villainy, their, uh, their obstinacy, their holding on to backward capitalist tendencies, um, that they were, in fact, unreconstructed counter-revolutionaries. And they were forced to write these, week after week after week, these abominable, guilt-ridden self-criticisms, you know, where they, they, they flagellate themselves verbally before the party to demonstrate their, their willingness to submit to it and to try to redeem themselves in the eyes of their party. And now, uh, in the Gulag Archipelago, Solzhenitsyn talks about people going into the gulags instead of recognizing that it, their system was unjust, they kept thinking it was their own fault that they were being put into the gulag. And in a way it was, but, but in, initially that self-examination self, uh, made the assumption that it wasn't the party that was wrong. They're never wrong. But it's me. I'm the one that's wrong. Now Solzhenitsyn did a, a 180 because he, he figured out, yes, indeed, it is I who am wrong. I supported the party. I gave them legitimacy. I stood by it. I agreed with it. And the only way to truly have justice is to stand against it, which he did. He almost single-handedly destroyed the whole communist world from, from a book. Which is why I want to in, engage, because I didn't even know about Alexander Solzhenitsyn 
I didn't even know about Alexander Solzhenitsyn until I discovered the work of Jordan Peterson. And I had just finished my, my doctorate in spite of uh, overwhelming... One moment. Let's call it overwhelming adversity. To be kind. And I knew that there was something wrong with the postmodernism and with all that. I, and I knew but I'd been convinced by the end, halfway, that I was crazy. That, that what I was seeing, the flaws in what we were studying, that I was witnessing, were a sign that I was somehow mentally deficient or in some way closed-minded. And I, I dared to point out, because I still believed that in a college class, you, you discuss both sides of a given issue. I was taught when I was younger, and I endeavored to teach myself to know both sides of any argument so well that I could defend the other side just as well and win the argument. You know, so back when I was 22, like I said, I've, I've leaned left in my heart most of my life. So let's say when I'm 22, okay? I'm more on the left. But I wanted to be able to take up a position on the right. I mean, I'm using these terms very inaccurately. I do apologize for this. To take up a position from the right and defend it so elegantly that I could still win the argument even though I was arguing against my own beliefs. That way, and only that way, was I able to learn to constructively think for myself and to decide, to come to my own conclusions. That was a skill that was expected. I had to demonstrate that. In my philosophy classes, in my political science classes, I had to demonstrate that I could justify my position and that I could justify the position of the other person just as well. Okay, that is no longer what's being taught. Because now, what's most important by our virus-infested, politically correct, postmodern educational pedagogical system is the world's broken. We'll tell you who broke it. Ultimately, uh, it's the fault of, of white men. Um, but we'll tell you who broke it. You don't need to worry about finding out on your own how it was broken or why. In other words, don't study history. And we'll make sure you know how to go out into that world and improve it, right? Make the world a better place, right? Change the world. Well, we all want to change the world. Everybody does. But what they're trying to instruct now is how to initiate social change. And, you know, the self-appointed messiah complex of the academy, it's, it's rampant and, and it's very evident. If there are people outside and you don't like the ivory tower and you don't like educated people because you think education robs people of their common sense or gives them arrogance, you're right. Okay, they, they, 
they literally think they are the wisest people in our society. And it is they and only they who have the right, first of all, to, to claim that they can speak for other people, okay, is arrogance in the highest order. And that they can determine what is discussed and how. Both sides of the argument are irrelevant now. It's their side or none. And we can see this in numerous examples. Uh, I think even in my 20s, even at my most far left, I would never ever have approved of the way Ben Shapiro has been treated, for example, or the way, certainly not the way uh, Jordan Peterson has been. Uh, they attempted to shut him down. I mean, and, and because they are, they're highly intelligent and they are articulate and they can justify what they're saying effectively. I mean, even when I was 22, I, during the government shutdown, I went out and I bought Newt Gingrich's book and I read it, The Contract with America, because I wanted to understand him better than I did and I wanted to be fair. Um, I read, you know, Milton Friedman when I was 21. I doubt that's being assigned, unless you're an economics major, and even then, I'm sure, they're not reading Hayek. I'm sure they're not studying the, the Vienna School of Economics. They're not studying libertarianism. So, so what am I saying? Okay. There's a system in place right now that is taking your money and more every year not to teach people how to interpret the world they live in or how to interact with the world they live in. But it already programs the supposition into them that it's defective and it must be repaired. And it can only be repaired by they themselves. And it doesn't matter whose lives get ruined or how you disrupt them. It doesn't matter if you're violent. It doesn't matter what you say, whether or not you are truthful. Just get it done. At all costs, get it done. And postmodernist thought, I know, I know there are a lot of people trying to defend it, is the foundation for all of this degeneracy. It is. It is. Which I want to uh, construct a demonstration over the next six or seven, however many it takes, podcast episodes. And I knew that there was something diseased when I graduated with my doctorate. But I kept thinking, oh, I must be interpreting it wrong. I must be paranoid. I must be mistaken. I must have done something to, to 
bring about these difficulties that I had finishing my doctorate. But when I encountered Jordan Peterson's work, and I heard him talk about the academy, how people are being treated all over the United States and Canada, I, I felt tremendously vindicated. You know, I, I truly thought I was mad. And so I owe, I owe him a great deal of gratitude. And anything I might say that's critical as, as we progress, because I do have a few... He's a psychologist. He is steeped in knowledge about uh, religious studies and cultural theory and philosophy. But he's not a philosopher and he's not a religious scholar. And that does tell and in, in certain places. Only he's waging a war on a very wide front. And he spread himself a bit too thin. And that was very telling, I think, in the, um, the conversation that he had with Slavoj Žižek. Uh, which went very well for both of them. But in the end, there were a few times when Žižek asked him, well, can you name a particular doctrine? Can you name a thinker? What did they say that, that you know? And he really couldn't do it. He, he, he could still defend himself and say, you know, well, Foucault, well, because it's always, because Foucault, they worship him like a god in postmodern thought. He's like a priest of a, of a new religion. But there were several that I might have mentioned, you know, to counter Zizek's question. Now, it seems that they both agree on the excessiveness of identity politics and the excessiveness and misinterpretations arising from postmodernist thought and Marxism. Um, but... He's a psychologist. He's a, a clinical psychologist. He's not a theoretician, thank God. But what that means is that against a professional philosopher, and even though I, I, I'm called the rogue and I'm not teaching, I guess I could be called a professional philosopher. Um, there's going to be gaps in his knowledge just like there is in mine. I don't know much about psych... Ultimately, although I've read dozens of books about psychology, and I've spent years studying it. I'm very interested in it. But I'm no psychologist, so I, there's, there's so much where there are gaps that undermine what I think I know about psychology. I know, in fact, very little. So if I'm talking to Chris, I'll defer to him at once, because he's a psychologist, He'll have his, his license soon to, 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 to start his own practice, clinical practice. So he's, he's a professional psychologist. Okay, I'm not. I know Jung pretty well. I, I know, you know, I have the basic grasp of most of the theories of psychology. I understand uh, CBT and I understand, you know, analysis of, of symptomatic states in the psyche. And again, I have to point out that Mental health 
it, there's nothing ephemeral about mental health. It is the health of your brain, the physical health of a physical organ called your brain. It may be that through positive imagery and construction of positive thought, you can change some of the brain to a point, depending maybe, maybe a lot, I don't know. But nothing you experience in your inner life, your day-to-day -day inner life, phenomenologically, that you experience is because you have an ephemeral soul that's disconnected from your body. If there is such a thing, there's no way for us to demonstrate it. There's no way because it's not connected to the body in any way, yet it drives the body around. How does it do that? So it can't, and we can't demonstrate that. So Descartes must be refuted. I mean, because if, if there is something that's separate from the body, even if you recognize there's an organic disturbance that's causing the mental illnesses, it's still the fault of the one who's sick. It's the fault of the one who's sick because they have, through moral weakness or bad thoughts, have poisoned their own soul, right? They've sickened themselves. It's their own fault because mental illness is the fault of the person, you know? If we reject that idea, dualism, mind-body dualism, and we recognize there's a fit that it's all physical, first of all, from start to finish, that yes, you must take responsibility, you have to improve your diet, you have to sleep better, you have to, if medication is required, yes, you need to take medication, you need to do counseling, you need to do cognitive therapy because that works way better than blabbing for hours and hours about how awful you feel. You need to try to remedy the problems in your life that are, that are causing you issues that you can't control. If you're taking any medication, there, there are more medications than you might think that induce depression. Too much sugar induces depression. If you have anxiety, uh, all mental illness is organic. If, if we dispense with the idea of there being... Now, phenomenologically, we experience ourselves as having an entity, a soul, it seems, that there's this thinking um, entity with which I interact and am both the actor and the one interacted with. That's me, that constitutes my identity, my collective stream of memories. I'm not going to stop experiencing that just because I understand rationally that everything I'm experiencing in this world is chemically mediated by a physical organism called the brain. Okay, and if we, if we dispense with dualism, then we, we can't be judgmental. The, the grounds for discrimination against mentally ill kind of go out the window. Because the reason why they're discriminated against with such stigma is because people think it's their own fault. They're sick. They're responsible for their own sickness. And if we're ever going to treat mental illness, that has to go away. We have to understand the, the environmental factors, the physical factors. Yes, the bad choices a person may be making. Yes. And how can we help them change their environment to change their choices without judgment? 
But in the end, that's that's neither uh, here nor there. Um, having trouble finding my way back to the beginning here. Oh, Jordan Peterson, clinical psychologist. Yes. Uh, I want to engage with, with his work. And some might cynically say, well, he's riding Peterson's fame, his coattails. Okay, well, yes, probably. Uh, but I do genuinely, even if I never met him, even if I never can tell him, I owe him gratitude. I, I owe him more than I can, almost more than I can put into words, because he helped me recognize that I wasn't crazy or defective, that the flaws I was noticing in my doctoral program and in the people we were studying, those were real. Those were real. Because you don't know how many times I was, I was ignored, talked over, overruled, made to look stupid, to look and to feel stupid, deliberately, because I dared to challenge, which is what you're supposed to do in a college. I dared to challenge the status quo. Oh, isn't deconstruction so great? No, it's garbage. It's trash, and it's, it's mountebankery, and it's lies, and it's, it's, it's a false, it's, it's pseudo-philosophy, it's bullshit. Right? You know, Heidegger... A Nazi? How much does his Nazism infest his, his philosophy? To the core! Does that mean we stop studying Heidegger? No, but I think it ought to mean we stop fucking worshipping him. He wasn't some great... He wasn't. You know? Well, he, he, his thought isn't Nazism. Yes, it is. It is to the very core. And the reason it is, is because part of what drives Heidegger's earlier work is the idea of authenticity, okay? Authenticity in existential speak means are you adhering to your destiny? Are you following your nature? Well, what if it's my nature to, to kill people? Then I'm not being authentic unless or until I'm killing people. That's what it means, okay? There's no, no moral compass in Heidegger. Why? Because he believed in blood and soil. And he thought his interpretation of Nazism should have been the one Hitler followed. Now, he fell out of favor. And it is true that, that Heidegger defied the party in certain points. But it's also true that he altered his own records. And he tried to hide, he tried to cover up how he attempted to influence the Fuhrer to see the world his way. And... The, the postmodernists rushed to protect him. And some of the worst aspects of postmodernism have their foundations. A lot of it is in Hegel. A lot of it is in Hegel, but a lot of it is also in Heidegger. Again, I, I repeat, does that mean we cease to study him? No. Because whether we like it or not, believe me, I don't. If you don't understand Heidegger, you can't understand anything that's happened in philosophy, either analytic or continental, 
in the last hundred years. I say analytic because if you don't understand Heidegger, you won't understand the analytic continental split. Why is there the necessity for them to make analytic philosophy in the first place? Because continental has lost its mind. That's why. But analytic have also lost theirs. And they've gone into what one of my professors described as, as a, like a, they're so obsessed with mathematics and with um, uh, I don't know what you call it, verbal calculus. You know, unless you're Wittgenstein or something, they're, they're, they're into such a, a almost a mathematical linguistic structure. They're not really philosophizing in arguments that can be grasped by ordinary living, breathing humans, which is why I wanted to study continental and existential, first of all, it felt most natural for me. And because a phenomenology actually deals with how do you experience reality as an embodied being in the world every day. That's all Heideggerian. So we owe, we owe him a lot. But you know what? His teacher was also brilliant. And there were others who are also brilliant who argued against Heidegger, including one that I studied very closely, was Emmanuel Levinas. So what am, I, what am I saying ultimately in this first segment? And I'm going to shut this off in a moment and then start again with a new segment. Um, the Academy is corrupt. It's corrupted by endless quantities of government money and it can crank up its tuitions endlessly because they're always going to get it. And people like me, my life is ruined, my student debt, people all over this country are walking out with ruined lives for nothing. It's not as if they got a degree in history and they understand how nations function and how they fall. It's not as if they got a degree in psychology and they can understand how to help people. They're walking out with degrees in cultural studies and, and various, you know, the one I can take pot shots at personally is disability studies. Why the fuck do I need to study disability studies? I don't. Anybody could become disabled. The disabled are a group that we categorize as such for our own convenience to best describe them, but not to define them. So why should we define a whole field of study as disability studies? Because identity politics is class awareness, okay? Marxism says the revolution, I wish I knew Marx better than I do. I'm going to endeavor to work on that. The revolution can't happen until the proletariat know that the proletariat. If you're just mad every day because you're working in a factory, you know your life is fucked, but you don't know you belong to a class of people who are classified and oppressed as such. And they changed class to identity. You're oppressed because of your identity. Why is your life so horrendous, you disabled person? Because you belong to a group called the disabled. And there are many legitimate examples of 
being shut out. But do you need something called disability studies? No, you don't. You don't need to. You can specialize in the theoretical study from any discipline, and you can use that perspective to focus on a particular group, say the disabled. Are you a lawyer? You specialize in focusing on how disabled people interact with the law. But you don't have an ideology self-contained in and of itself called disability studies with a rubric of its own discipline in such a manner as its grounding supposition is all disabled people are always discriminated against by able-bodied. I don't buy that. I've, I've, li- I've been discriminated against many times. I've seen others. I, I've seen some pretty horrible treatment of disabled people. There, there are grounds for criticism and there's room for critique and there's stuff that's got to be fixed. But do I need to define myself as belonging to a group of people to create a false field of study as if standing on its own, which it's not, and use that as my lens to live a life perpetually attacking everybody else around me, the so-called ableist? I don't think so. I don't want to be defined forever by my disability. Let's break now and... Recording six. Duration. Stop. 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 Button.